0: Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Lori. And this is 80s Music Rewind, where we discuss 80s music and culture as only two friends who have been friends since the 80s can.
1: So sit back and take a listen. This is 80s Music
0: Rewind. Hey, everybody. Welcome to 80s Music Rewind. My name is Ruth. Why are you talking like that? (laughs) This is Lori. You know what I was thinking about? I think <laughs> we need to. I think we need to like redo our intro and update it. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. Yeah, what like what we say what, yeah. we say? what say? Yeah, oh, the okay. whole thing. It's
1: like yeah. you know, give you fresh, different yeah. music. We'll
0: do something. Yeah, I don't know. To, we need to have more like eighty-sounding music. Yeah. yeah, we do. We need to find something. I don't know. Yeah. it's hard to. It's hard. To, if anybody wants to create music for us, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, today we're going to get into the Halloween spirit since Halloween is coming. And we are going to talk about an article I found on medium.com written by Michael Crosby that is entitled The Top Five Best and Bust, which I would just say worst, songs in horror films of the 1980s. Best and bust go together. So come on. Does it? Best bust? Yeah, best (laughs) bust. That was my name in high school. (laughs) Anyway, not really. For all the two people that are listening that know who I am, you know, that's a lie. All right. So we're going to talk about these. We can talk about if we've seen the movie and if we know this song. And then I foresee me a lot of YouTubing music here. OK, we'll find out. All right. So the number five, they start as a bust. hmm. <laughs> And it is Maniac from Flashdance by Michael Cimbello. So that's not a horror song. But if you continue down, they tell you why it's on the list. It even says, you may be thinking, but Flashdance isn't a horror film. It is for some people who watched it who hated it. I mean, you know what? Probably the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't get this. Well, but I like it now. It's
1: because it is inspired by a horror film. This is a true story. Hardcore slasher fans may already know this, but Cimbello's 1983 hit single was inspired by the seminal 1980s slasher, Maniac, starring the notoriously eccentric Joe Spinell and directed by Bill Lustig. Cimbello had originally written it as a horror theme after watching the film. The original lyrics went something like, he's a maniac, maniac, that's for sure. He will kill your cat and nail it to the door. Oh, that's
0: pleasant. Mm, Nice imagery. We love that Yeah.
1: Fans may have the Blue Underground Blu-ray release, which features not only an excellent documentary on Spinell, but a short documentary on this creative misfire, the song, which thankfully never happened. The song that appears in Flashdance is the same composition as the original, except the lyrics are sharply different, different meaning laughable. It's a victim of its time, and like many songs of this time commissioned for a specific film, it suffers from the Gilligan Isle school of lyric writing, meaning every line is too on the nose to be taken seriously. This is a theme that reoccurs
0: with the worst songs on this list, so buckle up. I have to tell you that I like this song. And I don't think the words are horrible. Am I just But it an goes idiot? with the movie. It goes with the movie.
1: I mean, it's not like my favorite song I like to hear like on the radio, but I like the movie. Yep. I agree.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the second one is not from the 80s, but we're gonna talk about it anyway. It is the best. He has this listed as the best number five. Don't mm-hmm. fear the reaper. By Blue Oyster Cult. I love that song. I love that song. Yes. I do too. And I listened to it in the car with the boy the other day and I was like singing along and he's like, what is this? And I'm like, it's Blue Oyster Cult. Well,
1: you know what it reminds me of? And actually, like it was used and I'm pretty sure that this was in the 80s, this um, miniseries. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless it was in the 90s. Do you remember the miniseries The Stand? Yeah. That at the very beginning. Oh, was this in the sand? Yeah, like in the oh. very beginning oh, of the right. the whole like... Very... Was that Molly Ringwald? Yes. Yes. In the very beginning of the whole um, miniseries, when all those people are dead, mm-hmm. they play this song and it's like, it's really cool. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's just, it's very cool. So I think it's used very we're, good We're in that. going
0: to, we're going to, uh we're going to allow, we're going to lo- allow, it's allowed gavel. I don't have a gavel. Mm-hmm. It's allowed okay i don't have to read this stuff because we all know what the you know do we know what the song Mm -hmm. yeah we all know so
1: it's you know it's definitely saying they know it wasn't from the 80s it's the only run from the 70s um but they included it because it was the first taste of rock music in a horror film he was six years old when he saw halloween and the experience shaped the course of his entire life
0: yep there you go okay the bust number four is Love is a Lie, performed by Lion. I don't know. And it's from Friday the 13th, the final chapter in 1984. Did you watch all the Friday the 13th movies? I didn't watch any. They're boring. First of all... You're not a horror movie person. No.
1: I think I might have seen part of the original on TV, and it still scares the hell out of me. So no, I have not seen any of these movies.
0: Okay, let's see what it sounds like, because I don't remember. Okay.
1: I'm sure 80s glam metal act Lion thought it was a great day at the office when Paramount shelled out a few bucks and bought one of their early songs for Jason's latest Kill switch. So they say to listen to the original version on YouTube and avoid the abomination featured in the film. So they say the the original version is better on YouTube than what was in the movie. Uh, He doesn't know why the original version was scrapped. But composer Harry Manfredini opted to re-record every part himself. This results in an utterly bankrupt version of the original. Devoid of any creative spark or flair... This rote version is capped with the most ludicrous howling. I'm sorry, I meant singing that won't leave my head long after hearing. Not even Jimmy's, um, can I say that word?
0: Mm, F, just say that. Dead F. F
1: dance moves can save this stinker.
0: Yeah, so that's from Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Uh, Which, how many Friday the 13ths have there been? There's never a final. Is it still going on? I that's think, Jason Voorhees, right? Right. I think there was one that's Halloween. since 1984. Oh, no. That's no, not no, Jason no, Voorhees. No. That's, that's Halloween. This is Friday the 13th. No,
1: Michael Myers is Halloween. Jason Voorhees is Friday the 13th. You're right about the character. Okay. Michael Myers is Halloween. And that's the... The and one that, that's on Peacock does, now. And actually, the end. I, 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 I've no. I asked people about it because you know I'm never going to watch it. Uh-uh. And it really does end. Well, no, we they think, said it ends. Well, it's I'm on Peacock. Gonna, I'm not going to ruin you know what it what for people. Do? You know what I'm to do? I'm not going to give a
0: spoiler alert on this podcast. You know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to watch it on Peacock, but I'm just going to f- go all the way to the end and watch the last scene. Because I don't like these movies, but I would like to I know heard
1: it from someone who saw it that and they love all the Halloween movies, that it was a little gory. Even like for their taste it was a little gory. Mm. But um I don't see
0: how I like that type of crap. No. Okay. Uh best number four is Cry Little Sister, theme from The <gasps> Lost Boys the from nineteen eighty seven. Performed by Gerald McMahon, written by Ger- Gerard McMahon and Michael Mannarini. I have never seen The Lost Boys. I don't <gasps> know this song. How
1: have you never seen The Lost Boys? Oh mm. my god. I don't I like wanna... vampires.
0: Oh, this is a great movie. It's I a don't great movie. I don't like vampires. I don't understand. The big deal about vampires. This is a good movie, though. Okay, I've never heard this song. Maybe I'll watch this with the kids.
1: I thought it was on the other night, other day, last Saturday, but it was Fright Night. I thought it was Lost Boys, and I got really excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, Ryan, you're really going to like this, and then I'm like, oh... And I think I've seen Fright Night, but I don't really
0: recall it. I think I saw it with Tina. Mm. Maybe. R.I.P. Tina. Mm-hmm. You know what's really sad? Side note is that I was looking at my Facebook memories and she commented on something like a two years ago or a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. yeah. Tina's our friend that passed away last year. Or this year. This year. I oh know. my god. I know. All right. Wow. I'm not familiar with this song, but Cry Little Sister theme for the Lost Boys. When the Lost Boys was the best at number four. And I like the movie. It says, While I've never been a big fan of the film, I consider it the weakest point in the triangle of influential 80s vampire films that included Fright Night and Near Dark. I was a fan of the soundtrack, one of the first horror film soundtracks featuring an entire album of songs rather than scores. Cry Little Sister is easily the best song of the record and comes the closest to conveying the themes and tone of the film Ironic, considering McMahon hadn't viewed the final product when writing the song. Director Joel Schumacher praised the song as perfect for the film, and unlike his decision years later to add nipples to Batman's suit, he wasn't wrong. This moody, atmospheric slice of goth pop has been covered by other bands many times since I've still never heard it. Neither have I. Let's go to the next one. All right, so
1: bust number three is No More Mr. Nice Guy from the movie Shocker, performed by Megadeth. It was written by Alice Cooper and Michael Bruce. I like this song. Okay. I, yes, but I've never heard of the movie Shocker. I haven't either. i never watched it. Well,
0: I, I see. He has this listed as a bus. I think my husband likes this song too. This Mm, is like the only
1: Megadeth song I like. Okay, this is a Wes Craven film. 1989 flick Shocker. The track listing runs the gamut from sublime to laughable, but this cover version of Cooper's classic, No More Mr. Nice Guy, is simply puerile performed a mix on the cheap the you track remember how sounds... we were talking
0: about classic pop magazine and how we thought that yes. it was just okay same. yeah yeah yeah
1: same uh performed a mix on the cheap the track sounds like it was recorded in Mustang's basement the stripped down aesthetic simply sounds half-baked dud too bad it was the single
0: maybe they were half-baked c- could could be come on people let's let's have some common sense all right best in number three is He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, 1986. Wait, well, I thought Jason the final chapter was 1984. It was. Jason, Jason Lives.
1: I know, but this is what's funny. This is what's laughable. When okay. you were saying, wasn't there yeah. more? Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Performed by Alice Cooper, written by Alice Cooper, Kane Roberts, and Tom Kelly. I don't know this song either, because I've never seen this movie. Let's listen. Well.
1: Monsters do have- <clears throat>
0: Okay. It's so funny to me how Alice Cooper is like such a family man. And he like does carpool and babysits people's Mm. kids and crap. It's all just makeup.
1: And it's an act. He's an actor who sings. Okay. So I'm sure no one's going to be shocked by this revelation. But horror films have a very... Strong connection with hard rock and heavy metal music ever since the 80s. And this track is one strong reason why. When Paramount Pictures and head executive honcho Frank Mancuso Jr. decided that Jason Voorhees would be reborn at the negative, critical, and fan response to Friday the 13th oh Part 5, A New Beginning, the decision was made to spend <laughs> a little more money than customary to give the film a leg up on its competitors, particularly the burgeoning Nightmare on Elm Street series. This included a late summer release, more TV and print ads, a novelization, and the inclusion of three songs by a newly sober and resurrected Alice Cooper, who was staging a major comeback in 86 following several years of tanking album sales and alcoholism. The song itself is an anachronism. It's desperately Very dated good. and feels tacked onto Cooper's album Constrictor. Written with his new guitarist Kane Roberts and Madonna songwriter Tom Kane, the song is heavy on cheesy synths and Gilligan Isle-esque lyrics. Although it was Cooper's latest single from his new album, he didn't even play on the subsequent successful tour, except in Sweden where it was inexplicably hit number one. While barely cracking the top 100 in the U.S., the song was extremely important for multiple reasons. The song itself may be cheesy, but it was a strong and fitting end credits theme for a film that relied upon atmosphere, fun storytelling, and a bit of goofiness for its success. It helped solidify a bond between horror and established metal icons. It spawned a video featuring many clips from the film. In these respects, the film set a template for future successes.
0: Hmm. Still never saw the movie. And I don't know that song. Okay, I, I'm
1: never going to see any of these movies. No, me too.
0: Bust to number two is the Darkest Side of the Night from Friday the Thirteenth Part Five Thousand and Four Hundred and Twenty. Really, it's Part Eight. Jason Takes Manhattan. Are you serious? That that's a real movie, 1989, performed it, it, by does Metropolis, this surprise you? written by Stan Messner and Fred Molen. Stalwart composer Harry Manfredini was gone by the time 1980s Jason Fil- or 18- 1989's Jason Film rolled around. A victim of the tight scheduling surrounding a film series procreating at the rate of a rabbit farm, Manfredini was replaced in the previous year's Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, by synth specialist Fred Molin, who immediately proceeded to replace Manfredini's largely orchestral score with a load of cheap synths. <sighs> Director Rob Hedden had initially latched onto a Robert Plant song for the film's opening credit sequence. Paramount took one look at Plant's asking price and immediately said, Mullen <laughs> enlisted Stan Messner to produce a knockoff, and well, at least they delivered. It's fitting, actually. Paramount hopes to polish up a turd with a bit, <laughs> with a bit <laughs> bigger budget and the New York setting, and failed miserably. So does okay, the song. Here's my question. So,
1: I don't know a lot about Friday the 13th because I just don't watch the movies. But isn't the premise that they're at a summer camp where he drowned and he comes back? So, why the fuck are they in Manhattan?
0: What does it have anything to do with summer camp? I guess if you look at this video, he, like, is swimming somewhere. It pops up. They must have killed him and thrown him overboard and he landed in Manhattan. And, of course, what? some dickhead that okay. comes out of the water with a mask on, you're not going to notice him? Where
1: is... Um, so where is uh, uh je ne sais pas i do right. not know it's not crystal lake illinois it is camp crystal that's, lake
0: no that's halloween
1: no, no no no, i know that takes place in Illinois. but what i'm saying is i used to always think because it was crystal lake that it was yeah. in illinois that was just my no. stupidity but but i can't remember is it in new york it might be in new york okay let's so look. that make 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 a little bit more sense but i'm like but he like terrorizes campers so like now why is he in manhattan Was he on the Upper East Side?
0: It takes place in Camp Crystal Lake. What? It is listed in Crystal Lake, Cunningham County, New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey.
1: It's actually a real camp, by the way. It's a Boy Scout camp. It's got like a really stupid name. I looked it up the other day because we were talking about it because I thought, like I said, I thought it took place in Illinois. And so I had to look it up, and it's got like one of those stupid Boy Scout camp names. So no offense to the Boy Scouts of America, but your camp names are stupid. That's so why the Girl Scout one, sorry. Camp
0: I, Dean is not a dumb name. It's Camp
1: Dean. No, but this was like Bull Rock. I mean, seriously, yeah, it's a no. really stupid name.
0: Like the one here is Camp Dean. Well, yeah, but I went to Camp
1: Pocanoca. That's where I grew where up Where is Camp Pocanoca? I don't have any idea, but that's where we went to Girl Scout camp at. Camp Hogan. I never got to go to Girl Scott Camp. Well, that's where I went. And so that's a dumb name.
0: Yeah,
1: whatever. Uh, yeah, sorry.
0: Okay. All, right, All right. So, Ooh, number best, best of number two. two
1: Dream Warriors, A Nightmare in Elm Street, three Dream Warriors, performed by Dockin, written by George Lynch and Jeff Pilson. So, New Line Cinema's Nightmare on Elm Street series may have been starting to kick Jason's bleep, by this point. <laughs> you already said the F word. I know. Earlier. Okay, Jason's ass by this point. But Paramount's Friday the 13th franchise was still quick to capitalize on their character strengths. Cooper's experience with Paramount led New Line Cinema to quickly follow up with Dokken on the third Elm Street opus that following winter. New Line Cinema had already made a strong connection to the heavy metal crowd simply by being an established groundbreaking series. Hell, even the Stormtroopers of Death had released an ode to Freddy Krueger on their latest album around this time. Dawkins' song was also a little bit too on the nose in terms of lyrics, except it had a decided upgrade in terms of sheer quality and musicianship. Cooper set the template, but Dawkins and Freddie would have both benefited through strong sales of the single. A music video and an episode of MTV's Headbangers Ball hosted by Freddie Krueger himself.
0: I remember them doing
1: that. <clears throat> yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, remember Headbangers Ball?
0: Yeah, I never watched it. Did you watch once, it? I think every once while I did. I, it was on too late. And I was like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. My God, I was old when I was young. I was just going to say, I'm just shaking my head over here. That's okay. I mean, you know, then I was out at clubs in Chicago till 6 a.m. So mm-hmm. that was in my 20s. Yes. Not now. Oh, God, no. Not now. Mm-hmm. All right. bus number one is Fright Night. Fright Night, 1985, performed by the Jay Giles Band. Now, that's a shocker. Mm-hmm. Written by Joe Lamont. This one truly is a shame. Fright Night soundtrack was a pioneer back in 1985. I personally owned the album and cassette and wore out several of the latter. It's the first horror film I can remember that released a primary soundtrack of ten songs, and some of them are so good. Not the title track, though. Not long before this project came to be, original frontman Peter Wolf had gotten sick of fighting for more. His more bluesy rock and roll tone with synth player Seth Justman, resulting in Wolf quitting and going solo with minor success. Justman took the band in a more synth heavy, light pop direction with disastrous results. The Jay Giles band quickly died and his misfire was part of their last salvo. It was released as a single and even had a video well before Cooper and Dockin came came along. This Pablum? Pablum? didn't stand a chance and quickly sank before briefly charting okay can you play part of it because I don't
1: think I know I mean I remember seeing the movie Fright Night but
0: change the lyrics I like the beat Nope.
1: Nope. Yep. I agree with the author. So, the number one best horror movie song is Pet Cemetery from Pet Cemetery 1989, performed by the Ramones, written by Dee Dee Ramone and Daniel Ray. The Ramones Pet Cemetery was commissioned personally by author Stephen King. The band already had a strong presence in King's novel of the same name, including song lyrics and a band member. And band member references. In one scene, Louis Creed signs himself into a motel using the name D.D. Dee Dee Ramon, the Ramone's bass player. D.D., who was writing the band's best material at that point, tossed the Pet Cemetery lyrics at Joey Ramon and producer Jean Bouvier, which then generated this classic song. Its use in the film is perfect, and I've often said this is the example I would use to teach the perfect three-minute song structure to new artists. Again, the lyrics are a bit spot on, but the atmosphere, production, and tone here are absolutely gorgeous. Yet another in a long line of Ramon's songs that should have been a number one hit. The song didn't do much for the band's album sales, but it's everything you could ever want in every other way. The low-budget music video features cameos from a plethora of metal and punk gods and is more fun than any music video you've seen in a while. Is it plethora or plethora? I think it's one of those words you can say either way. Really? Like tomato, tomato? Like either, either. Mm -hmm. I always
0: wonder that. Yeah.
1: What did I say? I don't even know. Plethora. Plethora.
0: I'll see what it sounds like. There's an ad. Of course. I hate you. Oh, there we go. I'm not. If they're not going to pay me to advertise
1: their poo-poo. Okay, I want you to know that I had to watch Pet Cemetery, And I couldn't watch it. It scared the bejesus out of me. Again, you don't build
0: anything on an Indian burial ground. Didn't we watch Poltergeist and learn that? Yes. Oh, yeah, I know this song. I didn't forget it was part of a movie. I know the song. Good song. Um, Just a note: (laughs) the author was a contributing writer for Manor Vellum, which is who this is from. It's on Medium, but it's Manor Vellum. Oh, he's passed away away on December fifth, twenty twenty, and we miss him dearly. His articles remain on the site in his honor. Eh, Oh, that's too bad. It is really bad. But I enjoyed this article. There's a lot of like um, when I when I was like looking this up, I didn't know exactly what I would find because I just was like, I need a different Halloween topic for. Season, mm-hmm. you know, because we need to, to do something for Halloween. <laughs> I don't know, people. We're stretching here for, for Halloween topics. But anyway, this is a really good article. So whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else to add? No. All right. If you have any thoughts about a great Halloween song that you can think about from the 80s, please let us know. You know where to find us. I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter, 80s Music Rewind. And... Facebook and Instagram, Instagram. Mm-hmm. and YouTube, but we
1: have nothing. and YouTube,
0: but we have nothing on there. Yes, <laughs> but you can feel free to subscribe. We have no subscribers, so because <laughs> I don't, I know well. We it's hard to like... have subscribers when you don't post anything. Or but the anything. channel is there. We could post stuff. Okay, well maybe if we post stuff, maybe we get subscribers. but we're gonna post. I don't know. I don't either. See, we're just moms. This is a fun thing. We're just moms. <laughs> I don't feel say like that. that. We are more than just moms. We are uh, overstressed individuals. Women who are like overworked. <laughs> Look at this. I'm stuck. I know. I'm laughing. Yeah. Oh, my God. i stuck in a cord. You're not stuck. I'm not stuck, but I felt I like, was. Well, I know. T- that's tired. what was funny about it's it. I'm so tired. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.